Colossians chapter 1 this morning. They've already sang my message, and Don's about done halfway preached it. I'm going to have to close the blinds in my house at home. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, that is what I said, right? Ephesians chapter 1, let's start in verse 15 this morning, a message titled, Power for the Believer. Ephesians 1 and 15, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And there's a colon there. Everybody see the colon there? You know what that means, right? That means what was just said is about to be intensified and given you a greater focus of how it's going to work. It's all throughout your Bibles. And let me say this before we continue this morning, that what God wants you to know and what God wants you to have is going to come by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And what Paul had a hold of in his heart was so much and so profound and wonderful and magnificent and marvelous and all the other adjectives we could add to it that he couldn't give it to us. He had to pray that our Father give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be able to receive it. It takes the Spirit of God giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be able to have what you and I have today. The knowledge that you and I have in this ministry about the focus of God being that of His Son and what He did at Calvary and His desire being that that be our focus. And the great truths that you and I are learning in the Word of God, that doesn't come from just reading the Bible. That doesn't come from just uh, being active in a church. That comes from the Holy Spirit imparting to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is why many do not accept the revelation of the cross for the church to live thereby moment by moment because they don't understand the scriptures. You know, if the, Jesus taught that if you are looking for men to honor you, you're not going to be able to believe properly. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees of his day. He said, you can't believe, you cannot believe because you're seeking honor that comes from men rather than that which comes from God. And see, we've got to live and walk in a place where we want God to honor what, what we're doing. And He only honors what He does. You've heard it all, you've heard it for many years. God only honors what God does. God don't honor something just because I go do it and it looks Christian. It's got to be Him doing it in and through me. 
And we've learned that if he's going to do it in and through me, he's got to have my heart receptive and surrendered in submission to his work, his son's work at Calvary. That's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So these things that you and I have been learning, some of us for 18, 19, some of you more than that, it's only been by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I can't talk you into anything. You can't talk me into anything. You have to receive the things of the Lord by the Spirit of the Lord. No other way. God doesn't give you anything other than all the things Jesus died for you to be able to have, but every time he ministers anything to you, it's by his Spirit. And what Paul, listen carefully, what Paul is getting ready to to say by the words the Holy Spirit gave him. And even though the Holy Spirit is giving him the words we're about to read, it still takes the spirit of wisdom and revelation to receive them. That's why two people can sit in a church side by side, hear the same message. One is changed radically, saved to the bone, and from that moment on their lives are just given over to Christ Jesus. And the other person just goes on and says, I don't know about all that stuff. They heard the same message. And the Spirit of God was attempting to do the same thing in both of them. But one received through faith in the sacrifice, and the other one would not. Even though the other one that would not receive said, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's nice. But there was no reception of it. The things of God have to be received in the heart by the Spirit. You're not just going to wake up one day and be hungry for the things of God. God has to find your heart hungry for the things of God. And it's not because I tell him it is. It is when he sees it is. What does God see when my heart is hungry for him? I go where I can eat. If I'm hungry, I'll go where I can eat. Amen. So prepare your hearts this morning to simply believe what you're about to read because it is the word of God. Verse 18. Let's go back and read verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. See that little two-letter word, in? That means there's a place this happens. The water is in the bottle. It's not outside the bottle. The water is in the bottle. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is in the knowledge of Christ. It's not anywhere else. It doesn't exist anywhere else except in Christ. Colon, then he says, here's why. So the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. So that you may know. Not just hear the preacher say, not just read it in the Bible, but so that you may know what is the hope of not your calling, 
his calling. Everybody running around, what's my calling? You need to get interested in what his calling. That's enough right there. We can go home. Folk running around. Well, I just won't know God's calling for my life. You get involved in the call on Christ's life, you're going to find the call on yours. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to spend 40 years wondering. Let me read that again. So that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. So that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And it is his calling on you. But it is his calling. Can you hear him? And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. You got a King James Version, it's to us word. It means toward us. They were backwards back then. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Believe. Believe. Do you know what it means to believe? If you're born again, you do, because the fruit of it is that you're saved. And now your spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit that you're a child of God. I wonder sometimes about people that say, well, I hope I'm saved. That's scary. Those are scary words. Well, I hope I'm saved. A believer doesn't say that. You might feel sometimes like you're not saved. And you might do some things sometimes like you're not saved. And the devil may come up and say, yeah, look at that. You ain't saved. <laughs> but your spirit is communicating with the Spirit of God that you are saved if you're saved. And when somebody starts talking about salvation, you don't say, well, I hope I am. You say, my hope's in Christ, therefore I know I am. Let's read verse 19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? It's not just greatness. It, it, God's, the power of God exceeds greatness. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Well, where do we look to see that? I'm glad you asked because he's about to tell us. Which he wrought, the word means worked, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. You see, there's a river that flows from the death of Jesus. That's why in Revelation, the river that flows from the throne of God, it only flows from it because the Lamb's there. If the Lamb wasn't there, there wouldn't be no river coming from the throne of God. God's throne offers a river of life for grace and mercy and everything else we need, but only because the Lamb is there. Amen. And let me say this morning, he has the appearance of one who was slain, the Lamb. That's why the river's there. That's why you have access to it. 
But notice here in verse 19 and 20 what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, but it's according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power of God only comes from the dead, out of the dead. That's why another reason, check it off on your list that I hope you're making, that he always delivers us unto the death of Jesus because only out of the death of Jesus comes resurrection life. Not just because you got saved, but the river comes out of that death. The life comes out of that fountain. Amen. Look, which he wrought in Christ. He worked in Christ. This mighty power was God working in Christ. And it's in a, this is confirmed in other scriptures such as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says God was in Christ reconciling sinners unto himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. God was at work and still is at work through the cross of Christ. Let's read verse 20 again. This mighty power, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power came from the crucified Christ's death. It started in the death. The power of God was found in the death, and from the death he raised him. Amen. The power only comes through the death of Jesus. Watch this now. And set him at, at his own right hand in heavenly places. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8 this morning, verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Somebody say, I'm a believer. Yeah. What we need to say is, Lord, help us to believe. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwell in you. Do you know that's a right now thing? That's a right now thing because of what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 teaches that unless your mortal body is being quickened by the Holy Spirit, you can't express Christ. But the only way that your mortal body is going to be quickened so that you can express Christ is if your heart is surrendered to Calvary. You see, and this is a powerful revelation a powerful revelation that God is not working peace and joy and love and all these things in your heart. He's not working those things in your heart. He's working death in you. 2 Corinthians 4.12, could we put our eyeballs on it this morning? Because out of what God is working in you comes the fruit of all you need to see. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 12 says, So then death works in us, but life in you. If I'm going to express 
the Christ that can work life in you. I've got to be experiencing the death that the Holy Spirit's working in me. Amen. No, you don't hear this everywhere. No, you hadn't heard this all your life, but you're hearing it now and you're seeing it right in the Word of God. We've thought all our lives that God was working in me this and God was working in me that. No, God's working in me one thing and that if if I allow him to work that in me by faith in the work he wrought in Christ, then I will experience what the death of Jesus will provide and the number one thing it provides is the expression of Jesus. Amen. His patience his love, his joy. See, all that's his, we're joint heirs. He didn't give us anything that wasn't already his. He didn't ever walk up and say, I'm going to give you a little something. I ain't never had it, but I'm going to let you have it. You can tag your name on this, Brother Patrick. It's all yours. Jesus, if you got anything from God, it's because Christ died for you to be able to have it. Amen. So, now... The Bible also says, and if I can find it here, and I'm not going to look for it, but you know what I'm going to say is scriptural. You know the scripture. I just don't know where it's at. didn't put it in my notes, but the Bible says that he has raised us up also together with him and made us sit together with him. I didn't talk about something coming although it's going to happen in its complete fullness one day, that's talking about right now. That's a done deal. We don't talk about this enough either. We, by faith, accept that we were crucified with him 2,000 years ago, even before the foundation of the world, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 4, that he chose us in Christ before the foundation. We accept that, but how come we haven't reached for what's ahead as much as we've reached back to that because just as much as we were crucified with him, we're seated with him in heavenly places. And I got news for you. The view is a lot better from heavenly places than it is right here. You got to live here, but your view can be from the throne. Mm. My Lord, can you believe it? Again, we better be preaching and focusing on the cross because as we preach the cross of Christ, people get saved. As we preach the cross through all the scriptures, which is the real full counsel of God, then the church can live saved. The church can live in a state of life instead of begging for revival every other year. We can be revived and live revived and walk with Christ and see the expression of Christ and the power of Christ. Amen. I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about true biblical Christianity that's been washed down and milked down to almost nothing, even to the point where uh, homosexuals are offered pulpits in the name of some kind of love, but it ain't the love that comes from this book. I was thinking this morning on the way to church how you know people would label us as unloving because people that are just blatantly living in sin Some of it even called by God an abomination. They don't come and sit in our gathering. 
So you must be a bunch of unloving people because people like that are going and sitting and staying in some of these other places where Christians gather and they feel comfortable there. So they must be a really loving people. But let me remind you of... According to the scriptures, what the church is supposed to look like is supposed to be saved people praising and worshiping the God they know, which is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior Jesus, and where people fear and tremble because of sin in their lives. Amen. Our doors are open to the whole world. Not the pulpit, but the doors, the chairs. But when you preach the power of God, and the Bible says that's the preaching of the cross, people who are blatantly living in sin, we don't have to run off. They're just too convicted. We're not running folk off. We're not telling folk they're not welcome. The sin in their lives. We don't accept what most of the church today accepts because God doesn't accept it. We love them. We won't treat them any different in our actions toward them, but they won't teach a class. They won't stand here, and they won't be sent out by us to do nothing in the name of us because we do love people enough to take that stand. Amen. So as the church waxes cold from love, and the Bible says we would in the last days, we're pressing on in. We're reaching for those things that are ahead of us that you can't do without holding on to the cross behind you. Hallelujah. Amen. So I started this message out today with these scriptures because the reality is, is, of Christianity is this. You're, we're not trying to get you to believe in what we just shared in the Word so it will be real. It's real whether you go home without it or not. And it awaits you whether you go home with it or not. It's all based on your believing. Salvation is the most real thing on the planet. And whether you get saved or not doesn't mean... Those that say, I don't believe in that, well, that don't make it not real. And when you open the Bible and you see it and, and, and you say, well, I wish that could be, uh, you know, an experience for me in my life, it can be. And it, listen, you're believing it does not make it real. It's real whether you believe it or not. This is the word of Almighty God spoken through a man written down so you 2,000 years later could read it and your heart could leap with joy through believing what God has said. The Word of God needs to be the most valuable thing you got in your possession on the planet. Hallelujah. And it's real no matter what. God's going to prove it all the way to the end as everything escalates and intensifies and the world gets darker and the light God has us in, it gets brighter and the world thinks, well, it's really, it's true. There isn't a God. Everything just a big bang and they're too ignorant to know you can't have a big bang unless somebody made something that could go bang and just stupidity and ignorance and the world's getting dumber and dumber. And the church is getting dumb along with it. It's getting pitiful. It's getting horrible. 
And the church is losing hope. The church is losing faith. Just like, just like they did in the old covenant when Moses went up on the mountain. Fifty days after they come out of the Egypt, they was building a golden calf. And Moses came down the mountain and the Lord spoke through him and said, who's on the Lord's side? Only a part of the tribe of Levi came out. Not even the whole tribe of Levi, a part of them. Out of all those 12 tribes, out of all those possible millions of people, however many, it was a lot. Only a part of one tribe came out. Let me tell you, the ones that didn't come out, I promise you they were in there saying, we all on the Lord's side. Just like in Noah's day. Don't you know they were telling their children and grandchildren, God loves us all. He ain't going to drown us and destroy us. God put us here. But there came a day, and there's coming another day. When the waters receded, there was one man and his family looking for some wood and rock to build an altar. Not to throw a party that they made it through unless you want to call that what they was building there, that altar. And there's coming a day when the dust is going to settle again. And when the dust settles, there's going to be one man standing and he's going to have the appearance as one slain as a lamb. And the whole world's going to see him, not just a group of people. I don't care what some of these preachers talking about. They ain't everybody going to see him. Everybody going to see him. Every person's going to see him when the dust settles. And you and I have been put on this earth at this specific time to be believers, not just churchgoers, not just Bible owners, not just group attenders. We've been put here to believe God. The message of the cross is supposed to be gathering people around the throne through faith in the sacrifice, and there we get grace and mercy in our desperate times of need, and we are the ministers of God. God's righteousness. This is a precious moment in the history of the church right now. We look back and we read these things and they were precious and they were written for us now. But right now is our time. Right now is our time. Not to be all about us, but to be about his will for us. Amen. And we've got to be believing, not just any old thing and every old thing. We're not called, listen, we're not called to decree and declare those things that are not as though they were. God's already done that, and he manifests the proof of it and what he was talking about on a hill called Calvary. All that stuff's about fleshly monetary gain. How can you call anything into existence that God, that you need, that God says you already have? Why are you trying to call things into existence that the Bible says you've already received all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? It's because instead of laying up treasure in heaven, instead, instead of setting our affection on in, in the heavens, we got it all here on the earth. And that's where you'll blab it and grab it. That's where you'll quote it and try to. I don't have to confess into being what's already in being. 
So we started here in these scriptures this morning. Now let's turn over to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 17. I'll have to do a little reading here. You know the story. Everybody knows the story. God's about to, through Moses, send spies into the land. Land he's promised them. Look at verse 17 in Numbers chapter 13. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. Now, let me say this. God's not sending them to see if they can take the land. He's sending them to show them the land he's given them. And what the land is, let me see, where are we at now, verse 19. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be, now God already knew all this, didn't he? See, God wants you to know something he already knows. And he wants you to see something he already knows. Can we not relate that to what Paul was trying to offer us by the power of the Holy Spirit? God knows something about a power he's wrought in Christ. The church don't know much about it other than being saved except those who are out there trying to make things happen and call it God and all that Pentecostalism. Now, I'm for Pentecost. I always have to say that because people, you're not, I'm Pentecost, let me tell you. Pentecostalism is when you're putting your faith in Pentecost. That's Pentecostalism. Pentecost is real and everything that came with it is still real today. But Pentecostalism is when you're putting your faith in it. There ain't no place in Pentecost for your faith. The only place for your faith is in Christ Jesus. Then you get the power of Pentecost. You get all the power. Verse 20, so they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as men came to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron where uh, Heman and Sheshai and Talmai and all those others that weren't for Cass County. The children of Anak were there, Anak. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eschol and cut down from there a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two on a staff. There's where those grapes are that are the size of Brother Dale's head right there. That it takes two men to carry a cluster. God was about to bless Israel. You know the Old Testament tells us that the new wine is found in the cluster. You don't make wine from one grape. Verse 24. The place was called the brook of Eschol 
because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from there. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land where you sent us, and surely it does flow with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it you're looking at. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we're well able to overcome it. This man had the spirit of wisdom and revelation resting upon him because his heart was believing what God had said was true. The difference between this man and Joshua, his partner, and the other ten was that the ten didn't believe. Even though they saw it with their eyes and God had told them, this is the land I'm giving you flowing with milk and honey. Go check it out and see what you got. You got to believe it, my friend. And let me say this right now while the Lord is stirring my heart. I can't believe for you. I can't believe for your salvation. I mean, I can pray for your salvation. But I can't believe you into salvation. You won't be saved. I'm trying to put it in a simple way. You can't get saved because I believe. You got to believe. And you can't live in victory and be used of God because somebody else, you have to believe. And you can't just believe anything. You have to know where to put your faith. Hmm. Let's read that again, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before God. It means he says, shh. Had to be more than that. Had to be some pots and pans jangling or something. All them people. Somebody had to be blowing a trumpet. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. This is new covenant terminology for those who've accepted the way of the cross for moment-by-moment living. As Pastor Don said this morning, just like Joshua was was told by God, I'm going to give you every place your foot tread. We have victory every moment, everywhere we go, and all that we experience, we can possess all that Christ has died for us to have. But you have to believe it. You're not going to get it in the big lip club. That's pride. Most people don't know that. Pride's not just walking around thinking you're better than everybody else. Pride's also the other extremity of pride is walking around, you know, I'll never be anything and I'll never have anything. And get out of that pride and trust God. Hallelujah. That's pride too. We think pride's just the man who's got all the money and he looks down on everybody else and got his chest puffed out and he's better than everybody. Well, the other extremity is a false humility. That's pride too. I'm preaching better than your amen and hallelujah. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him, 
Same men, same place, same view, cutting down the same grapes, watching the two men carry the big cluster of grapes, seeing the prosperity of the land, saw it with their own eyes like you did when you got saved. Remember what Paul told the church in Galatia? Don't you remember when you were first saved? It was as if Christ was crucified before your very eyes. My Lord, they saw that in the Spirit and they accepted it and they became prosperous in the Spirit of God. But then they begin to be distracted from the truth by the distractors who wouldn't constantly point to the truth, which is Christ crucified, so they begin to accept other things. How many of you know the church has been being desensitized for years? Everybody knows the story of putting the the frog in the pot in a comfortable temperature of water and just gradually turning up the temperature until it's actually boiling and he won't get out of it. He'll just steady it and die because it was a gradual temperature increase to where he thought it was okay until he become too weak to move and then then he died. That's happening to the church. People making excuses why we don't need to be determined to know anything but the cross of Christ. People wrestling and stumbling all over this now, but it's only, hear me this morning, it's only because they won't take it up. When you take it up, there ain't no more squabbling over whether we need to be focused on the cross all the time, whether we need to have its application in all the doctrines of the Bible. That, that conversation is over. So this morning, I deliver to you this, and I pray it be so for us, that everybody everywhere who wants to do this and do that, let them do that. But for us in this house and in this ministry and in our homes, we're going to be determined determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. We're not going to get in discussions and waste time in vain babblings over the foolishness of why we still doing that. The question is easily answered because it's in the Bible. Amen. So the men that went up with him said we be not able. How many people have sat with you under the message of the cross for a long period of time and now they've been desensitized because they were listening to other people than the pastor God gave them to preach the message to them. They were still listening to other people who were wallowing all over a mixture and eventually they just mixed on in with the mixture and they're no longer here determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Amen. It's happened before your very eyes. The men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And they brought up a what God called it an evil report of the land. It's an evil report. When listen, God, when I when we tell somebody that you can live by the power of Christ and what he did at Calvary, if you keep your faith anchored in the cross, and they say, Nah, you know, we believe this, that's an evil report in their heart. They're believing an evil report. There ain't no power of God coming from any source other than when God worked his power in the death of Jesus and from that death he worked the power to raise him from the dead. You want resurrection life? You can have it if you keep your faith anchored in the death of Jesus. 
And you know, it's not just automatic. If it was, we'd all be walking in the uh, tiptoes, what we'd be tiptoeing through the tulips of holiness. Ain't that right? Let's read this now. Watch it. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. Here it comes, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. What are they looking at? What they look? Men. Men. It's back to Jesus. You can't believe God if you're seeking honor from men. It's not going to happen. You'll never be able to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation resting on you, even if it once did, if you're trusting men. The arm of flesh will snare you and destroy you and desensitize you. Mm. The land, though we have gone to search it, through, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight. Here we are looking at ourselves again. If you're looking at yourself and you're not looking at the one that destroyed yourself at Calvary, you're going to get in trouble. Mm. We were in our own sight. My Lord, let's quit looking at ourselves. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And we worried about what they think about how we look. Y'all need to quit that. We march on in this great truth of Calvary. They've said this. They've done that. We've done enough stupid our own selves too. It's time to move on. So the next chapter, turn over and watch the, 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 the horrible picture of unbelief. And this relates to us today because... We have greater promises than they had. The spiritual territory that we've been given, which is a new heart wherein Christ dwells in us, is greater than a land with grapes you can cut off and eat and then they're gone. We got the fruit of Christ that's endless and eternal. And all the congregation, how many did a few get disappointed? Did a few get sat? No, all the congregation, a little unbelief will mess a church up. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. <clears throat> and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole, the whole congregation. Brother Swaggart said it many, many, many years ago. My whole body is sick. The church is sick today. And unless they hear and come back to the focus of the Lamb, they will stay sick. Watch this now, verse 2. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that you had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God, 
We had died in the wilderness. You know what that's actually saying in Northeast Texas language? I wished we'd have died in Egypt. I wished we'd have died in the wilderness because God's surely going to send us there in there and we're going to die now. They, that's an evil report because they did not believe God. Let me remind you, you've been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised up to newness of life with him. Listen, it ain't over. And he made you, he made you to sit with him now in heavenly places. That's as real to you as your faith is in the sacrifice of Christ. I said that's as real to you moment by moment as your faith is in the sacrifice of Christ. Well, brother, I, I, I just don't see it. The ones who don't see it aren't believing it because if you believe in it, you'll see it. You see, the same, the 12 men that went into the land to search it out, 10 came out seeing something totally different. Two said, well, let's go get it now. Let's, go, let's don't waste another moment. Let's load the wagons. It's ours. Let's go get it. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, And wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword? God's listening to this. The cross don't work for me. God's listening to that. The cross don't work for me. It only, it, it only doesn't work for non-believers. And just because you're a Christian who did believe doesn't mean you are believing now. When you're believing now, the power that God worked and wrought in Christ that raised him from the dead will be working in you. And you say, well, maybe you preacher, that's an evil report. Well, maybe those, that's an evil report. You need to go home saying, it's for me and I believe it. Hallelujah. He raised my Savior from the dead and the same Spirit that He raised Him from the dead by the same Spirit dwells in me and I have no lack of anything. I need to quit whining and murmuring and groping around like God's left me out. He included you in Christ, but you got to learn to walk in Christ. He ain't left nobody out. If anybody gets left out, it's through unbelief. All believers will experience the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. All believers. I'm talking about people who are believing. Not people who just believed one time and it was sufficient enough to save them. By the same power God wants you experiencing every day on your job, in the classroom, in your marriage, among your families. The same power that you need for all things. Hmm. Verse 3. And wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? I ain't going back under no sin nature. I done learned the truth of Calvary. Now I'm not going back under no sin nature. I'm not going back to walk as though I'm under law or be under law. That's where the curse is. What's the curse? Death. Paul said, I was alive once without the law. The commandment came and I died. You start living without faith in the sacrifice. Now, I'm not talking about some statement where you say, well, I do believe in the cross, but I don't know why it ain't working. It's because you ain't believing in it. 
You got it's, it's it's a truth you give your heart to. It becomes your life. Are you not believing? I fear many today that, not, I don't know, I'm not the judge, but I fear many today who refuse this way or say, I tried it and it don't work. I wonder what they think saved them. I'm not the judge, but I do have to wonder. And verse 4 says, and they said one to another, since it'd be better for us, we've decided it'd be better to leave the focus of Calvary what brought us out of Egypt, I, and, and, and all the, just by looking at something, we've been so scared we want to run back to the sin nature. Ain't nobody defeated them. Ain't nobody even raised a sword against them and hollered at them yet. They just saw something that scared them, and they ready to go back into Egypt. I ain't going back. Y'all get mad at me and leave. I'll be right here when you get back. Hallelujah. They said one to another in verse 4, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. See, they didn't like the captain God gave them. Then, oh, you better hang on to the preacher of the cross wherever he might be. You better hang on to him. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. You got three people out of all Israel. I want to, I want to say that again today. You got three people out of all Israel. Don't, uh, when you look out and you see, well, if this is right, where are they all preaching the cross? You better read this story. Three out of millions. Three out of millions. One family in the flood. How many names are written in Hebrews 11? See, the devil will look at and say, well, if, if this focus and this determine what y'all preaching is right, everybody would be involved. You better read this story and know we in the same experience. And you believing what you're believing here doesn't make you any better than anybody else, but it is equipping you better. And they spake in verse 7 unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, Land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. Now, this is what this is what Joshua and Caleb are saying. Man, this way of the cross is a good way. It's the only way. And how many of you know, at this, in this story right here, the only way of God was to take the land. Everything else was rebellion against God. And the only way to take what God's offering is to believe it. Verse 8, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense has departed from them. The enemy's defense has departed. Jesus stole his defense at Calvary. Look, their defense is departed from them and the Lord is with us. That's not just some casual statement. 
Their defense has departed from them. That's our land. The Lord ain't with them. He's with us. And let me say, he's with those who are trusting in his son and what his son did at Calvary. That's where, he, that's where the people are he's with. Watch now. It gets ugly. Somebody's testifying. We can take the land, man. The enemy don't even have a defense. That's us, ain't it? You, we preach the cross. It's the power and the wisdom of God. Not only do we just preach it, we got words to hold up. Can, can you not see it in your Bible? And you say, well, yeah, well, I see it, but my daddy, my uncle, my yeah, some man did what, said what, showed you what else. And these people saw the land with their own eyes and said, we can't have it. God's a liar. That's what they were saying. When God says that's an evil report, that means you believed a report that's opposite from what he said. Mm. Verse 10, But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Where did it appear? In the tabernacle. What was in the tabernacle? Boy, what they needed appeared. What they needed was the reminder of what they, what they had to have. What was in that temple, what, what in that temple represented. They won't stone them. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be before they believe me? Believe me, before they believe me. How long will it be before we just accept the message of the cross is the message and it's preached from Genesis to Revelation. It is the form of doctrine that saved you and makes all other doctrines sound and you will only be as sound as the doctrine you are believing. And the Lord said, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. Mm and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for you brought up this people in your might among them, from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants. Now, God already knew this. God's not in awe and shock here. Well, I've got to figure something out, I guess. All, listen, God's always about dealing with men. Bringing men to a place of seeing so they can be believing. You first have to see what he said and believe it before you can see the fruit of it. Verse 14, And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that you, Lord, are among this people, and you, Lord, are seen face to face, and that your cloud stands over them and that you go before them by day, daytime in a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you shall kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people unto the land, mm, which he swore unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness." And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering. You see, God was just leading Moses to this place, back to the focus of where God is long-suffering. 
Where does he forgive iniquity and transgression? Through the sacrifice. Look at, let's go back. I know we're running out of time, but we got to finish this today. <clears throat> Verse 17, he says, And now I'm beseeching you, Lord, let the power of my Lord be great. It would have been a great power for God to wipe out Israel. <clears throat> but Moses said, Let the power of my Lord be great according as you have spoken. This is what you said, Lord, about yourself. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers <clears throat> upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon the power of God is in his pardoning. Remember that? People, they go around talking about love, 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 and they try to use John, the disciple, because he, just because he laid his head on the breast of Jesus. Remember, John's one of them called son of thunder. That means quick to anger. People ain't talking about that when they're talking about John and love. True love's found in Christ on Calvary's cross. Verse 19, pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. You see, God wasn't surprised. He wasn't caught off guard. He was bringing Moses to the place where he would represent his son and his son's intercession for the whole world. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't know what this is. That's the true power. That's where God works his power from, the sacrifice. Caleb and Joshua and Moses knew this. If they didn't, Moses wouldn't have prayed this prayer. Moses would have said, go ahead and wipe them out. God, they ain't worth the flip anyway. They're causing more problems. They ain't helping. That's the land. You said it's ours. They've seen it, and they're still calling you a liar. Go ahead and wipe them out and start over. You said you would. All right, here I am. Go ahead and do it again. But the Lord stirred the heart of Moses to come to this wisdom and this revelation that if God did do that, what would the world think about him? See, the cross can't fail. Because it's, it's the power source from where all the, all the power of God comes from, even in this Old Testament story. That's why we're told that the glory of the Lord appeared in the temple. What was in the temple? The Ark of the Covenant wherein was the three pieces God had Moses put in there and the mercy seat where the blood was poured. There ain't no glory appearing where the blood ain't. And for New Testament theology, you and I are being changed into that image. The image of the Lamb slain. It's the power. Now, we've been in the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament. Some of you will go home untouched by the Holy Spirit. But some of you will have been moved upon 
to have a greater desire to know what is yours. Not what's going to be yours. What is yours? What is yours? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places. When you stop trying to believe God for things that you've already been given. Did you get Jesus? You got it all. You just have to believe to see it all. Amen. Don't be found in unbelief. Don't be found in unbelief because God calls unbelief an evil report. Unbelief is, well, I, you know, it's not just I'm having trouble believing and, and it's okay. God understands. And he, and he does. But we can't use that for an excuse because all unbelief is an evil report. He's there to help us. That's one reason that we're told Jesus endured all temptation. So that we could go and get grace. We're going to be talking about that in the days ahead. We're going to be talking about how, how the cross is tied to the throne in the days ahead. And I'm excited about it. But the Lord wanted me to bring you this word this morning. A reminder word. Don't just go through life not expecting. God's offered you everything so that your expectations should be higher than anybody else. A Christian's expectation is not a greedy thing. It's a faith thing. We live by the faith of the Son of God that loved us and gave Himself for us, and that faith brings all things into our lives that we need to carry out the will of God. That faith can't fail. That faith provides. That faith justified you. Amen. Well, I better quit. Keep believing. You see the young ones on the back row? You can believe the same as somebody who's been believing for 50 years. It's, this, it's as simple as, it's a fight. You'll have to fight to, to keep your faith there. But the simple simplicity of it is that a five-year-old, a four-year-old can believe just like a 64-year-old. Because there's one object. I believe Jesus died for me. That's where I partake of him daily. I was buried with him. I'm raised to newness of life with him. And if I'm going to be the husband, if I'm going to be the co-worker, the employer, the employee, the mayor, if I'm going to be whatever God has put before me, it's going to require me keeping my faith there. If I'm going to grow up and marry the right person, it's going to require me having my faith there. If you don't think so, it's unbelief and you'll marry a jerk see my wife don't know nothing about that yeah we don't always live saved do we you know why because we're not always believing while you are believing from the heart you ain't gonna be no jerk ain't that right Brother Nick's about to find out what it means to be a husband one of these days. I'm glad he already knows. I'm glad he already knows that he's got to love Angel like Jesus loved him and gave himself for him. See, I'm glad he already knows that. But see, already knowing it is one thing, but there'll come a moment when he's going to have to know it. Not say I know it, he's going to have to know it. 
when angel said, and he said, huh? And the Holy Spirit's going to talk to him just like he talked to Brother Dale this morning. Spirit of grace is always there. He's always, he ain't going nowhere. That means he's always there. Would you stand with me?